She is a kidney expert through lived experience, an author, naturopathic nutritionist, and yoga teacher based in London. She also has a love of shamanic wisdom and the healing power of nature, having completed one of her yoga trainings in the magical Andes of Peru. Growing up in the abundance of Zambia in Southern Africa, also planted strong seeds of how nutrition, music, sunshine, and a sense of imagination and playfulness can all be powerful healing tools. Her first nonfiction book, Holy Align, Holy Alive, Awakening Your Inner Physician, was published in June 2019, sharing her story of kidney issues since four years old alongside practical tips to help the reader awaken their own inner physician. Firecrackers, please welcome Kira. Welcome to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. I'm Isabel, your host and founder and firebrand of The Uprising Spark, a digital platform that offers life coaching products and services for modern, independent, child-free women. Our aim is to build a strong female community and to connect empowered women around the globe. So, Kira, is it right? Perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I actually met Akira when I was living in France. She was also, I don't remember if she was British. I think she might have been maybe... Welsh, but okay. um, I remember, you know, she wrote her name that way in the beginning. I didn't know how to pronounce it, but it's a really lovely name. It can be very confusing. I get called all sorts of things. It's actually Irish. My mother's Irish, so it's a traditional Irish name. Oh, th- does it have any meaning? Um, there's different interpretations. My mum tells me it, it means light-haired, which is ironic because I have dark hair. <laughs> <laughs> but there are other... There are other interpretations that it means dream. So it depends. I think it exists in quite a lot of uh, different nationalities with different spellings. Well, it's a beautiful name. And you. You, you are a specialist on kidneys, is it? Yeah. Yes. I, 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 when, I, when I read that first time, I was like, I really want to know more about this because... I mean, I, kidneys, yes, I've heard about kidneys uh, in terms of, you know, there's a bunch of illnesses and how important kidneys are for our just overall health. Yes. Um, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone who is an expert on kidneys other than maybe, you know, a specific GP. Are, are you like, are you a doctor? I, I would like to know more. I no. Guess. So in, in a medical setting, it would be nephrologists. So those, those are the, yeah, those are the, the kidney doctors. So where my expertise comes from in that context is through lived experience, um, having had kidney issues since a young child, that is where my expertise has come from. And, and I'm a firm believer that lived experience is, is one of the greatest teachers because then you feel it and you have all the somatic awareness around it. It also led me, I think in hindsight now, to study the nutrition and the yoga because that help me empower myself and others more around how to take care of myself. Because what ended up happening in my scenario was I had, uh, you know, the childhood illness of nephritis, which is inflammation in the kidneys, that was, it was progressive. So it, it, it led to my own kidneys failing when I was 14 years old. So I had the backdrop of 
the condition as a child, but it didn't limit me. And there, we can talk more around that, about how that has influenced me greatly as well. But I ended up having to have dialysis from 14 to 21. I had my first kidney transplant at 21. And then I had a really great journey with that. It was nearly, nearly two decades, 18 and a half years to be exact. Um, but you know, the, in the field of immunology is very complex. Uh, kidneys are very complex. So there's lots, of, there's lots of aspects that can affect the longevity uh, in, in organ transplants. Um, so I had, this was kind of going into my late 30s. I then did home dialysis, a different form of dialysis called peritoneal dialysis for three and a half years. And then just recently, two months ago, I've had my second transplant. So I'm kind of in my recovery phase of that, but it's all going very, very well. So that is my expertise. But on top of that, I now work a lot with, with people. And actually, they've naturally been attracted to me, which is, again, very interesting. A lot of people that I've worked with, both nutritionally and yoga-wise, um, have had kidney issues, but very different to me because everyone is different. So we can't lump all kidney people into the same bucket. For example, one client that I've worked with for a number of years, he had kidney cancer. So when I started working with him, he was very open about telling me that right up front, which I found very interesting. So he, has, he functions on one kidney. They remove that kidney and he's completely fine now. Um, another example is somebody I started working with and she had, well, she has polycystic kidney disease and her mother actually died of it. So there's a whole ancestral element to that as well. Uh, so that, that's just to give you some examples. And I am very keen now on well-being of medics. So that's kind of opened my eyes to understanding more. So having been a patient, and, and now I think I have enough emotional maturity, it's still a work in progress, to now help medics to look after themselves as well. Because I've been in the system for so long and I've seen a lot. Uh, and yeah, you know, no health system is, is ideal. So we all need to be a part of, of changing that. So yeah, I, I would say, but you know, if you want to talk more about what the kidneys actually do, I'm very happy to go into, into, the, into the, the detail of that. Well, more than the, okay, so what they actually do like physically in the body, um, that's interesting, but I think I would be more interested to know what the link between the kidney is and the emotional state of a person. Because yeah. I've heard, course that every single disease that there is or any um, expression or somatization of, of any type of uh, illness has um, like an emotion behind yes. it. Yes. So I would be more interested to hear about what kidneys mean, emotionally speaking. Yes, very happy to expand on that. And, and this is, again, this is based on my experience. So it doesn't need to be set in stone. People are very welcome to have, you know, do their own research and find out other ways. But um, you're talking about the metaphysics, which Louise Hay, I think, did a lot of work around this. So one, one observation would be that, and interestingly, the kidneys are the only organs of the back body. So that in itself is quite, is quite interesting. If we think of energetically, a lot of things that happen in a fast-paced society is that we have this feeling of mistrust or, you know, watch your back, or I always need to be looking over my shoulder. So energetically, what kidneys can relate to is that sense of will and that sense of strength in who you are because you're not kind of looking at your back body all the time 
um, you know, physically speaking, we're very front centric. We walk forwards. We're not, we don't learn to walk backwards as, as children. Uh, so that can be one thing. The other thing is if we think of one of their key functions in the body is to filter waste, they can be, you know, how are we emotionally filtering our, our emotions and our thoughts? So that can be another angle as well is like, are we getting a little bit bogged down by, by the muck in our lives? How well are we filtering? It can also be on the flip side of that is that people who understand kidneys can become then the filter for others. But that's a balance. You know, you need to safely filter. And I'm sure you know what way, you know, you know more about this around boundaries. And when you're working, like coaching people, for example, you've got to be very clear on boundaries. So there can be sort of boundary issues with kidneys as well. Uh, you know, when you're filtering, like you need to safely filter for yourself, first and foremost. And if you are helping others to filter, that you're empowering them to also filter for themselves rather than doing the filtering for them if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so they can also be tied to fatigue. So kind of the, the, the emotional state of feeling fatigued and lethargic because they, they are a key regulator of uh, hemoglobin. So anemia can be a, a common state with kidney issues. And that is kind of almost like a, a lack of life force. So feeling, you know, feeling drained or feeling a little bit overly burdened can also relate to to the kidneys so strengthening your kidney energy physically can in turn help us feel a bit you know a bit bit stronger a bit more in our own inner confidence i was just thinking when you were talking about all the like energetic meaning behind it like the the metaphysical um so my grandfather he passed away due to kidney failure failure oh. Wow. Yeah. This was a long time ago. And my sister, she has kidney stones and she's actually, she had surgery. Okay. Um, and so I'm, oh. I'm trying to think like, okay, so your body's telling you something like definitely whenever you're having uh, health issues with something, it, it, there's something behind that you need to solve in terms of, uh, like, like you mentioned, your energy, how you're giving it, how you're receiving it, or how you're projecting it. Yes. Um, I think, yes. uh, I think it's, it's really interesting. And are kidney diseases uh, very common? I mean, there's a lot of people that struggle uh, with, with kidney issues. Yes. I mean, there's, there are definitely millions across the globe. It's becoming quite an issue in America um, where, you know, for dietary reasons, um, the, kidney, the kidneys are very impacted by sugar um, and they really thrive with key minerals like magnesium and potassium and phosphate. So they're, they're very sensitive to mineral status. Um, and, you, you know, I think part of even the, the pressures we put on our earth now and on our soil, even if we're eating well, we might not get, be getting the best minerals because our soil has become very depleted. So yes, kidney issues are, I'm not sure if common is the, is the right word, but they're certainly like, for example, there's, there's, an estimated 3 million people in the UK with, with kidney issues. So that, that can come, you know, some people can live with kidney issues fine and it's not, it's not going to mean that you're going to end up, they're not, that they're going to end up failing. That, that's kind of the extreme side. Um, and, but there are certainly things you can do to manage. It's commonly called chronic kidney disease. Uh, and there's certainly things that you can do to manage yourself well and keep yourself well. Like which? 
things like, okay, so first and foremost, I would say healthy hydration. So drinking enough water. Uh, and again, that's quite, that's quite unique. Not everybody needs to be drinking like two and a half liters a day. At the moment, because I'm so recently transplanted, I'm, I'm needing to keep more of an eye on drinking at least two and a half to three liters a day. Um, but that's, for some people, that's a bit too much. So it really is about tuning into what feels right. Uh, and, you know, good indications of if you're dehydrated is to, to start looking at the color of your urine. You're looking for a pale straw color and for there to be no bad odor, that a bad odor would be a sign of infection, for example. Uh, so good hydration levels. And also, you know, diet is absolutely key for kidney health. So making sure you're having enough leafy greens and fiber, not too much animal protein. You know, you, if, if you're somebody that enjoys animal protein, like eggs and meat and all the rest of it, you don't need to kind of cut it out. But there is definitely research around reducing and some people do choose to go vegetarian for, for kidney reasons, but reducing at least your animal protein intake. Um, and that brings us to another point that kidneys are very impacted by is protein status. So again, it needs to be the right balance, not too much because uh, proteins break down into quite a lot of what's called nitrogenous waste. Uh, and that, that can burden the kidneys. So it's... It's kind of just making sure you're taking care of yourself on all level, levels, though, not just nutritionally, but getting enough sleep so that you're not, you're not hyper-adrenalized, which is another big issue in our society is a lot of people get burnout, adrenal fatigue. And if we think of energetically, the, the adrenal glands sit like little hats on top of each kidney. So they're kind of, there's quite a lot of synergy between that part of the endocrine system and the kidneys. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. Mm. And, and we do live in a very hyper fast, ever evolving, everyone's busy kind of world, yes. um, which actually leads me to the next question. When you sent me your, your information, your bio, I read that you lived in, in Peru and in, uh, in Africa as well. Was it Zambia, if I'm not, not, not yes. mistaken? Yes, yes. Yes, I, um, yeah, I, well, I grew up, I was born in South Africa, in Johannesburg. So Southern Africa is it's part of me. My heart, it just, I, I love that part of the world very deeply. Uh, and then we, we lived in Saudi for a little bit of time. And then we ended up going back to, I think my parents must have been drawn to that part of the world, going back to Southern Africa, not South Africa this time, but Zambia, which is a couple of countries up from South Africa, a very beautiful place. And so for example, Christmas time, it would be summertime. So it would be, you know, swimming and barbecues at Christmas, which was really nice. And uh -huh. yeah, I had, um, we moved there when I was four, which was just around the time I'd been diagnosed with the nephritis. But when you're a child, you're not really, you know, you don't have that level of anxiety. It's just like, oh, okay, that's happening. Okay. I'm not, you know, I don't even really remember that much about being four. But I do remember moving to Zambia and just, you know, natural sunlight is how we get a lot of vitamin D and vitamin D is another very important nutrient for kidney health. So I really do believe that that childhood setting, um, it made such a difference because I was a really healthy child in spite of the condition. And I also, another key thing is that my mum, and we've been referred to, to by the doctor in Dublin to this doctor in Johannesburg. So we used to travel every few months down to South Africa from Zambia 
and that's where I was cared for, so in terms of medically cared for. But the doctor I had, he was called Professor Thompson, and he was just such a lovely man. So he was very kind. And he also, what I realize now, um, and my mum is very keen on natural health, but what I realize now, it kind of made sense that he was brought into the mix. He had a very holistic approach to health. So he advised me to, you know, drink enough water and he made it fun because I was only a child, you know, draw 10 glasses each day, one glass representing every time you've had a glass of water. Um, And he, you know, he kind of said to my mum, with me present, so he involved me in my care, which I think is very important, you know, make sure she, she doesn't have too much sugar and best to avoid vaccinations. And that, please don't misunderstand that I'm anti-vaccine. I don't mean that at all. But in that context, when somebody has burdened kidneys, there is some evidence that vaccinations can put extra burden. So unless it was absolutely necessary to to avoid that. Um, So the advice that came from that really planted very, very strong seeds in me. Uh, And I think the combination of also having a vegetable patch and banana trees and an avocado tree all in our garden in Zambia. Like when I came back to the West, I was sent to boarding school in Dublin. It's like, oh my gosh, this is, this isn't living. It was such a shock to my system, even as a child. My gosh, where's the sun? Where's our vegetable patch? Where's the doctor who's just treating me like a human and giving me safe advice? So it was quite a shock to my system uh, coming into the, into the Western medical setting. Uh, but it, yeah. it influenced me hugely. So that, that was the Zambia component. And I, I was there from four until about 11. So really formative childhood years. Um, yeah. And then the Peru aspect. So that was just a few years ago, actually. And I spent a month <clears throat> there. I was drawn to going there. I started to have a big interest in, in shamanic stories and shamanic wisdoms. Uh, and that's what drew me to this particular course. Um, but it was, it was a yoga training, um, essentially. So it was a month living in a, in a lovely setting behind a waterfall and yeah, just embracing a lot of shamanic traditions like sweat lodges and, um, you know, understanding totemic animal medicines. So for example, understanding the symbolism of the jaguar or the snake or the hummingbird, all that represented different parts of what they call the medicine wheel. So again, that is, you know, these are just amazing, profound experiences uh, that, that just help us on our own path so that then we can hopefully distill that and share it with others. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the reason that that came to mind when you were talking about, you know, having people just being in a fast-paced uh, numbness sometimes because you just kind of wake up and go to your job, do whatever you need to do, come back home, and then repeat, basically. Yeah. Um, is that, you know, countries like Zambia, countries like Peru, they live a completely different rhythm. Like they, their life, uh, people lead their lives in a very different way. I mean, unless they're in like the big cities. Yeah. Um, I've seen it in, in, in like Western cultures, uh, English speaking countries like England or the U.S., or Canada, even if you don't live in a big city, people are still having that, you know, stressful kind of life. Um, whereas here, I think people still, here as in, well, I'm in Colombia, but Peru or countries in Asia and Africa, people still have something that 
uh, still attaches them to their past in a way, like the traditions. Like you said, oh. China, for example. Yes. And I, I think, I mean, interestingly, I certainly would have had those kind of, I don't know if, if romantic is the right word, but those kind of idealized memories of Zambia and it being very, um, yeah, very beautiful and just playful. And my parents seemed to be very happy in that setting. Um, but I, I did go back a few years ago with my mum and it was the first time I'd been back to Zambia as an adult. We went to a friend's wedding and it was actually very different. So, I mean, we did fly into Lusaka, which is the capital. So that, that is um, the city. Um, but I noticed that um, there had, and I was speaking to a, a businessman on the plane actually, and, and he was telling me how, you know, it's changed a lot. The, the, the Chinese have invested quite heavily in that part of the world. And, you know, you, could, you would see huts selling mobile phones, which is just all very interesting. But th that is the city. So I would say going out to the more rural parts, people are more connected. Um, but the internet has changed a lot because it, it gives people a look in to a new world. And if they haven't been exposed to it before, I think it's the whole American dream idea, isn't it? It's like, oh, look, you know, they're, they're over there having their big modern lives and they look so appealing. So... I think there's something naturally aspirational about humans. So when, when you're exposed to that, I think it's quite natural to want to have some of it. But, you know, in the more rural places, people are naturally more connected to the land because they, they have to be. They're, that's probably where they're getting their food from. You know, it'd be local communities growing their own food and playing in the, in the, out, in the outdoors. So, yes, I think, it's, I think it's a balance. But I also think through the work that I do, there is a yearning in all places to, to go back to that slower pace or to return to, to nature. So it's an interesting one because the world is just always changing, isn't it? You're listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the kid-free community. You're child-free as well. Yes. And that, that's being different, I guess, in this really pronatalist world. Yeah. <laughs> well, yes. um, it is. Um, but I want to hear your story. When did you decide to become child-free and, and why? So it's so interesting. And I want to thank you, actually, because th this has made me really think about how do I articulate this? Because it's, it's one thing to be, yeah, I'm totally fine with that decision. And I, and I don't often need to explain So I, I've, I've had to put some thought into it about how I can articulate this. And I think what I realized first off is that I'm, I'm really happy and it makes sense to me that I did not have children. Um, but that's 43-year-old me looking back. <laughs> Now, I, I had my most significant relationship in my 20s. So I think that there's kind of multiple ways for me to answer the question. I was with somebody and I think, I think the plan was, well, the plan was we, we were engaged, so we were going to get married and children. Yeah. I mean, we didn't have explicit discussions around it, but we certainly, it was kind of unspoken that yes, that will, that will be part of it. Um, you know, that, that relationship wouldn't have been the right one to introduce a child into, but that's again, with hindsight, it might've happened. And then that would have probably led to all kinds of other heartache and pain. Um, and then when we broke up, it was my late twenties. And so I kind of really spent my thirties exploring myself and yes, I dated and I had the, 
the you know the occasional boyfriend but I didn't have I didn't go on to have another really profound relationship like the one I'd had in my 20s and I think that influenced a lot because if if somebody had come in and we were both in a place where yes we want to introduce a child into this union that that would have been very different but it didn't happen uh and I think for me that that again it makes sense because I was really focused on I was actually well, I suppose celibate, you'd call it, for probably about three or four years of my 30s, because I had just become so disillusioned with having certain experiences in that, in that realm that I just really wanted to, okay, let me just explore who I am without that. And it was what we would call in the yoga tradition, it, it allowed me to really embrace my own Shakti energy. So it's that divine feminine energy. And that instead of going into a sexual relationship, it went into the growth of my business because it was around my mid-30s that I stepped away from working in banking to set up Holy Aligned, which is, which is what I, I now do. That, that's, that's my business. So that kind of really helped me. And I, I don't think it would have made sense in my 30s to have been entertaining ideas of having a child. And actually, my sister, who was four years older than me, it's just the two of us in our family, she has two children. So around that time... She was having her children, and I could see firsthand, like, oh my gosh, it changes your whole life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see it up close and personal. And it was thrilling. I loved it when my nephew was born. There's something different about when it comes from your own family and it's your own blood. It's, it was so moving, and I was very much a part. And my sister only li- lives down the road, so I was very much a part of, of him being you know, a new part of our family. And that was very joyful. But it's great to be the aunt, isn't it? To have all the ah, cuddles and hugs and yeah, look out, out for him for a couple of hours and then go home. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it's tricky. It's a lot. Um, and then my niece came along a couple of years later. And it is, you know, they're 13 and 10 now. And they take up a lot of space. Uh, and, and, that, and rightly so, because parental responsibility is, it, it's, it's a big deal. Um, so... Being in my 40s now and at a place where, you know, I just, I am very reconciled with it. But I did go through, I remember reading, I think it was an actress who was in her 40s at the time. And I read an article that she um, had, she'd been interviewed and she was talking about, you know, her and her partner were very happy. But a friend had said, well, if you're not having children, do you want to perhaps just make sure that you you go through that process with yourself that, you know, you're happy with that decision. And she said, so I did. And I was happy with that. So I appreciate for some women, they might go through that self-inquiry and decide, oh, no, I yearn for a child. I must have one. But I went through that process and thought, no, I'm, I'm actually, no, I'm okay with that. So if, if the baby daddy doesn't come along, I'm okay with that. I've got enough going on in my life. And I've seen how much uh, energy through my sister's experience, children can take as much as they bring joy. They, they bring a lot of hard work as well. Um, I don't think I would have been able, well, I wouldn't have been able to live the life I have. I wouldn't have been able to go off to Peru for a month or, um, you know, just do all the things, travel, which I love to do. And, and where I am now, just having had uh, the surgery, it's not, you know, you, it's not advisable to be having children for at least a year. So I'm, I, and I don't want to have children in my 40s. You know, so it's basically, yeah, it comes back to that. It makes sense to me that I did not have children. It's interesting that you mention, you know, how it, it just happened in a way, but I see you have reflected on it, on it anyway, because there's women who actually feel very frustrated about it. 
And yes, you don't yes. know if it is because they really wanted to have a child or because they really were like pressured to have one. There's two, yes. it's two different, two, two completely different things that can feel like the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, so, so they're like, oh, they kind of like feel frustrated that they didn't have the opportunity that, the, you know, their prime egg years passed them by or whatever, you know, they call it now. And, um, yeah. And, 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 they, and, they, and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm child-free, but they're really not. Uh, I think people should, I mean, if they are in that situation, whether it is that they wanted a child or they thought they wanted a child, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make a difference anyway. It's, it's just, you know, to do that self-reflection and, and kind of go through the, if you have to go through the process of mourning it, then, then do it. Yeah. You know? Yes. It, yeah. You make such valid points around it because it, it, you know, it can get confused. And sometimes when people are, you know, feeling low, and we all go through lows, we all have that kind of dark night of the soul of, oh gosh, what, what am I doing here? And for, for some women to have that, that deep yearning, um, it's the, the idea of, you know, when I have a child, I'll be happy. Or it's the same thing of when I'm thinner, I'll be happy. Or when I have that other job, I'll be happy. It's kind of constantly putting a condition on your happiness, which ultimately comes from inside of you. And so I, I agree. I agree that self-reflection is so important just to be, to be reconciled. So it's not going to be a limitation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that, that when I have, I hate that. I mean, when I do this or when I have that and then I'll be happy or this will happen, mm. I, I just hate it. I mean, I hate it because it's happened to me as well, you know, and it mm. feels like you're putting your life in pause. And it's like, you know, you're, <laughs> since you were born, you're living, you're not, you're yes, not supposed yes. to be waiting for anything to, yeah. you know, live. Just go out there and, and grasp, you know, life by its horns or whatever you want to, you know, uh, that's, you know, and, and for me, like, it, it makes me a little bit angry because I feel I was that person, not regarding kids, but regarding many other things. And, and so, I, you know, you have to just take the leap, uh, just like you did with your brainchild. Yes, that's I it. Hear more that yeah I want to hear more about that brainchild of yours yeah so I mean I and, and I don't regret the, the the working in the in the corporate in the corporate arena and I learned a lot from from working in that and I met a lot of interesting people so I wouldn't take it away but I would consider myself fortunate for having the health condition because it when you have something that really prompts you to think well what's really important in life so I'll, I'll give you the specifics what started to happen was that my, my first kidney transplant, and this was in my, one would say probably about, um, yeah, 36, uh, when I was working in banking and my, you know, things were starting to, to look like, oh, the kidney's getting a bit upset here. And is it rejection? What's going on? What's happening? Uh, and I really, you know, had to go through a big process with that. It's like, oh God, well, what, what's life going to be like? Am I going to have to think about dialysis again? And all of these very terrifying thoughts that I had to just sit with because, we can't avoid, we have to sit in the muck. It's like the lotus grows out of the mud. We've got to get into the mud and sit in it. And then we can grow towards the light again. So it's, it's, it's kind of really important to do that. And that, you know, I was having to go in and out of hospital for blood tests and like, what's going on? Not feeling great, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, I had studied nutrition at that point. I was about to qualify as a naturopathic nutritionist. And I was like, okay, I'm just, what do I really want? And that, situation made me ask those deeper questions of myself and to get 
powerful answers, we have to ask the powerful questions of ourselves. It's not always easy. But I had that knowing of, okay, I need to just step away from this corporate world. I feel like it's just sucking me dry. It's not making me happy anymore. Um, And once I made that decision, it was just everything was so supported. I, I made the decision to resign. I went in and I had the conversation with my then boss who said, okay, we we did have this down as a risk because we know that, you know, you're qualifying and we thought that you might, you might leave. But, and he said, I'll let you have the conversation with David yourself. So David was the global head at the time, who was a very uh, kind of like he had this presidential air about him, very articulate and also very kind. So I was like, yes, I want to definitely tell David myself. So it took me a few days to build up. Like, oh God, I've got to go speak to him and tell him. And I did. And it was a Friday afternoon and we sat down and he was so understanding. And he, he said, well, Kira, what about if we sorted out a part-time arrangement? He said, I have to speak to HR, but, you know, go away for the weekend and think about it. And I think if I hadn't had the courage to resign, that opportunity would never have been given to me. So I went home and I was actually seeing my parents that week weekend. And, I, and my mum's like, well, that sounds like a great idea. We'll give you a chance to transition. So I actually went back and they arranged a three-day week for me. So I went part-time in a role that wasn't traditionally part-time at all. And it just goes to show that, you know, you are supported. Support comes if you can lean into that trust. So I worked part-time for about a year. But, you know, setting up my business and starting to see clients, I'm sure you can appreciate having one foot in that world of what I was really passionate about, one foot in the the corporate wheel. I, I can't. This is pulling me apart. I really have to go now. So I had a year to kind of establish the practicalities of setting up the website, you know, getting some client experience. And then I, I stepped away completely. And I had such, there was a sense of loss because I'd been there for, you know, I'd been in banking for probably about 13 or 14 years at that, at that point. And, you know, there were good people. It, it wasn't that I was like, oh God, I, I hate you all. It's just like, I've got to, I've got to do this. And I had nothing but a chorus of support from all the people, you know, the bankers and everyone's like, this is amazing what you're doing, you know, best of luck. So again, I think if you stand in your truth, you get support. If you don't stand in your truth, that fear is going to mirror back at you. And people will be be saying things like, are you sure you want to do that? What are you going to do for money? But none of that happened, which I'm very grateful for. Wow. Yeah. That was how Holy Aligned was born. That's awesome. And what is it that you do? Like, what are your services? Just so my audience can, can, you know, can know what your portfolio is, what you're all about. Sure. So I, I bring in nutrition, definitely. So some people come and see me for nutrition consultations, but it's holistic nutrition. So it's like not just what you're eating, but when you're eating, how you're eating and how you're emotionally nourishing yourself as well. So that's one, one aspect. Um, The other aspect is the yoga, which is just, it's such a love of mine. I know how profound it's been in my own life. So it's it's a delight to share it with others. So I I specialize in one-to-one yoga, but I also, um, coming back to the sort of the medics and the NHS, which is our, our medical system over here, the National Health Service, we have a movement called social prescribing that is part of the NHS. And under that umbrella, I teach two community yoga classes a week. Uh, and that rate is funded by the NHS, which is amazing because that's a step in, in a more integrated model of healthcare. So you empower people to feel, you know, to breathe, to move and 
to permit them to feel whatever they need to feel. If they don't want to do any poses that day, just lie on the mat. If you need to lie on the mat and cry, then that's your medicine for the day. So you kind of, you, and it's really, I've had feedback that people will say, you know, thank you for giving me permission. Because people, again, it's the, I don't know if it's the, the aesthetics of yoga and the westernization of it has become, oh, well, if I'm not wearing the, the perfect leggings and if I'm not doing the perfect asana practice, the movements, then I, I can't go to a group class. So it's really important to let people feel that they're allowed to do that. Um, and then I've also just uh, had written a book. So I kind of moved more into um, writing for various media as well as doing more speaking events. So I did my first TEDx um, talk up in Glasgow, which is up in Scotland in October. Uh, so yeah, the variety, it's the nutrition, the yoga, the inspirational speaking, as well as the writing. So it's a, it's a, lovely, it's a lovely arsenal of work that brings me much joy. That's great. I, I mean, I love it because it is true that whenever you are tackling any type of issue that you have, whether it's uh, an illness or emotional, you have to do it holistically. Like you have to take care of everything at the same time because in the human body, I feel it's not just one piece that it's broken. It's that piece mm. also affecting everything else. Yes. Um, so I think it's, it's awesome. So I'm going to leave uh, all of you guys, my audience, I'm going to leave Kira's um, information in the descriptions so of her website and her social media handle so you can follow her as well. It's been a pleasure having you here, Kira. Um, but before I let you go, um, because unfortunately we are running out of time, uh, is there anything else? <clears throat> I'm sorry. Anything else you want to add to our interview? I think I will. There's a quote that I really love. So, uh, and I've been looking more into depth psychology. Uh, so Carl Jung is, he's, well, his body of work is so amazing. So I think this is a really lovely quote and hopefully is helpful to your audience as well. So until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Carl Jung. I love that. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, I'm going to also post that quote in my feed because I absolutely love it. Well, Aww. thanks again for your time, Kira. It's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Isabel. I have loved talking to you. And thank you for the work you're doing in the world. It's really amazing. Thank you for listening to The Honest Uproar, a podcast where modern, child-free women share their life stories and where we discuss important topics for the Kidfree community. We hope you tune in next week for our newest episode. And since we love hanging out with you, please be sure to follow us on social media at The Honest Uproar and visit our website at thehonestuproar.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to share with your fierce, child-free firecracker friends. Until next time, continue fueling your inner fire. <laughs>